Hey everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Real Early. I'm your host, Larry Sternshine. And on today's show, I'm joined by my friend and fellow horror nerd, Erica Wright. Erica is best known for the House of Screens podcast and being co-owner of Final Girl Cosmetics with past guest Candy the Final Girl. Erica is also the creator of the My Horrific Life podcast and blog, which we talk about in this episode. In addition, we discuss growing up in a religious household and just how she got into horror despite her upbringing. We cover many other topics, including working with Andrew Devoff and filming a movie in Russia. All this and more on this week's episode of Real Early. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, I'm back here and I'm with my guest Erica Wright. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so we've kind of known each other through the House That Scream podcast, but uh, this is our, my first time really getting a chance to kind of get to know you a little bit too, which is kind of fun. So I'm I'm sure I'm going to learn lots of interesting things just because some of the stuff that you mentioned on the show, I'm like, oh, I want to know more. So we'll, we'll, okay. we'll find out, like, because you know you you have like an educational background, like you're a pretty smart person. So that'll be kind of fun to kind of get into eventually. Uh, but the first thing that I do know about you is that you love cats. I do love cats. Yes. <laughs> How many cats do you have? <laughs> I have three. Uh, they're from the same litter. Really? So what are their names? Uh, Clovis, named after the, the hero cat in Stephen King's Sleepwalkers, uh, which is not a great movie, but um, the cat kind of made it for me. And then his sisters are a black cat named Midnight Rose. And uh, there is also his other sister was the run of the litter. His name is Joy because she's always happy and purring and even makes happy kill noises when she's stalking something that's uh i like how you went a route of not just doing like oh i'm gonna i like horror movies let me just name my my cats horror movie people you know i like the fact that you were like oh this cat's happy let's name the cat joy i think that's great you know what are the things i did to do uh Oh yeah, I was tempted to do a lot of horror movie names. It's like, nah, I think this fits her personality. So. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? We'll watch like a a movie, and the filmmaker is clearly a horror fan. They're like, oh, I'm gonna name a character like uh, after John Carpenter. You know, yeah. it's, just, <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> we we get it. You you like horror movies? You can probably not be that sly. Um, right. But, <laughs> but sometimes directors I do like will will do that um, funny stuff. So I can't be too mad too much, but it's usually like you can tell when they're a little bit like hitting over the head when they use carpenter font. Yeah. That's yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, but that I, I don't have cats. I'm a dog person, but I, I do enjoy petting cats. So whenever I'm at my friend's house, he's got a cat and he just likes to come up and just be like, you know, pet me. Just like smashes mm -hmm. his head in my face. Oh, nice! <laughs> That's very That's, cute. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how many dogs do you have? I got two dogs. Uh, Poppy and Amy are my two current ones. Poppy is the older nice. one. Amy is the younger one. That's just—it's funny too because I was listening to a comedian once, and he was making fun of of white dog owners who like to name their dogs after people's names and i'm like well <laughs> i have a dog named amy so this is kind of accurate yeah right <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's it, it's fun having animals in the house because we got 
a bird, I got some fish, and uh, I got a axolotl. Wow. Okay. So, uh, uh, so big, big, big animal household. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So I do, I do appreciate people who, who like pets and and want to take care of them, even though you know cats can be very self sufficient. They still like having people around. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think most of them do, definitely. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, we kind of first met through the House of Screams podcast, and you <laughs> and Candy, the final girl, kind of worked together and got your own makeup company and whatnot. How did you guys meet? Like, uh, So we were introduced by a mutual friend who was also on the house that screams podcast for quite a while and he suggested that i might be um a good uh, additional host or, or like regular guests for the show so um i think i got started with that in um season two which was during the pandemic lockdown one of the first movies i reviewed with them was like hereditary or midsommar one one of those two, so, but yeah, that was uh that was quite a time. <laughs> Just real briefly, what do you like better? Do you like Mids Midsummer or do you like Hereditary better, or do you not like either one? I love both of them, so it's very hard for me to choose between them. I think in terms of scariness, Hereditary is um, like more disturbing whereas like the preview for Midsommar was really creepy but then when you watch it it has a lot of comedic elements I get it it's disturbing as well but there's a lot of um a lot of humor woven into it more so than hereditary in my opinion I do know people have talked about hereditary being a very dark comedy uh, mm -hmm. especially from a Jewish perspective uh, uh. and uh the first time I saw the movie, I, I, I didn't really like it that much, but I, I kind of want to rewatch it from that sort of idea of it being more fish black comedy and whatnot and just kind of see how it plays. It'd be kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely due to rewatch it. Like, those are both movies I need to own because I really do love them both, but for whatever reason, just need to add them to my Blu ray collection. I saw Midsummer in the theaters and. Yeah. Uh, it was really it was it, so there's there's a scene early on where the first time you where they kind of see that something's up and it's kind of it's kind of violent but i also thought it was really funny because it reminded me of a scene in austin powers where will ferrell gets uh sucked into like down below to like the fire but he's still alive oh yeah <laughs> so i'm laughing really hard there's like this like a a mom with her like teenage like kids at this movie and i was like they're looking over in my direction. I'm like, <laughs> it's funny. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I like I did think that there were several like just very funny moments in that. Like um I, I went with a few friends and like they just lost it during that um that scene where the um the main character's boyfriend runs off and hooks up with the, one of the local, you know, one of the cults, you know, teen girls. And then it's like all of the women in the community are around for support <laughs> and singing songs to her and stuff. <laughs> like, um, yeah, a lot of my friends just were cracking up during that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny too because when I was done, I was like, ah, oh, I don't really like this movie, but it was definitely stuck with me a lot more than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. So that's 
So if anybody who's listening who hasn't watched either one of those movies, you should give them a watch and let me know how you think about it. Um, which uh, that Ari Aster fellow, he's a strange guy. That's that's what yeah. I've learned. Well, after after seeing Bo is Afraid, I can definitely sense some strangeness there. <laughs> I I think it's funny too because when we talk about the humor, and apparently Bo is, is Afraid is another one that's kind of got an odd sense of humor. It's it does. I don't think it needed to be almost three hours long, but it it does have a lot of humor in it. Um, it it is also a movie that I found like somewhat frustrating to watch, but also I thought about it a lot afterward. And, and I, I may watch it again at home. I just don't want to sit through it in the theater again. It was too long. I don't like super long movies in the theater. It's kind of ironic you saying that, considering if the House of Screams often does like two hour episodes. I know, I know. <laughs> I do start to get a little like antsy. It's like, I got to shift position. My back's starting to hurt. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny too, because... Like, there are times where I'm like, man, this is taking a long time, but I'm, like, thoroughly entertained the entire time. I'm like... Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, people really have enjoyed the House of Screams podcast, and I'm kind of I'm very uh, happy that uh, I've been sort of, like, taken in by everybody, and I don't, I'm not always on, obviously, but just being kind of a part of the whole thing has been pretty exciting, and it's one of the reasons why I'm even doing my show is just having the the support from everybody like yourself so i do i want to thank you guys for for that oh so. yeah it's, it's such a fun group of people i always look forward to almost always look forward to the roughly uh weekly recordings there have been a few times this season when just because the movie that was selected made it kind of a rough time and i'm looking at you deadly friend this was uh <laughs> that was a punishing one <laughs> That's, that is that is a a forgotten West Craven movie for a reason. Yes, <laughs> but you know sometimes the uh, the bad movies can make fun episodes, and sometimes it can make things real difficult because they're they're not even interesting bad. Those are the rough ones. Yeah, to do. some of them are just just bad, not even fun bad. Just like oof. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't do even though I'm doing it more now, but when I first started, I wasn't going to do just like a movie specific show. Cause like everybody does that. And I thought it would be different just to kind of talk to people about why they liked movies and, and their history, as opposed to like, Hey, let's talk about uh, this particular movie. Mm-hmm. But now I'm doing that more because I realized, you know what, I could bring guests back on. So I got yeah. like returning guests. Now they're going to talk about like a movie from like they're, they're growing up that they were excited about. So that could be you one day, who knows? But it's nice just to <laughs> to have like I could do this style and then I could do the the regular episode. You know, for the people listening for the first time, that's kind of how I started. Um now you used to have a podcast, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Uh called My Horrific Life. And uh my co-host uh was um a psychologist with a certain federal agency and when he went to apply for uh, uh, advance uh, in his position HR told him that it would look bad in his records to be involved with a horror podcast really? which is like the stupidest fucking things I've heard in my life how long ago was that um let's see I'm trying to remember so let's see I know we 
we started shortly for 2016 and then we went through I think most of 2017 and maybe maybe a little into 2018 so and we re usually record we tried to record um two episodes per week it didn't always come out that way but kind of the idea like one episode would be just the two of us reviewing a movie and then the um, the alternating one we'd be interviewing someone who had some um, affiliation with either horror films or um, horror novels so we or or academic writers who uh, you know wrote about horror films so for example we we interviewed um someone who wrote a very extensive biography of Boris Karloff uh, for one of our episodes. And uh, so again, that was kind of, that was an interesting experience. It was um, kind of a, a bummer that the, I don't know, you wouldn't think federal agencies would be conservative about that kind of thing. I, I feel like even that wasn't that long ago, I would assume that things that may have even changed more Especially since I feel like maybe there might not be as many people trying to get into that sort of thing. They might be like, okay, whatever. But at that time, I guess I could kind of see that. Maybe. I don't know. It seems really silly to me, but trying to think it, like a, a like a government guy. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and I mean, I also wrote all the content for the website, so the podcasts was more like it, it was a joint effort but my friend did all of like the editing and the technical stuff so podcast definitely had a different uh, flavor than the things I posted on like the blog part of the website but I don't know you think it you think it was like um you know hardcore bestiality porn on there or something the way they reacted to it they, they probably just learned like the very bare minimum of what it was and they just heard like horror or maybe they just thought horror and they were confused what it was. Who knows? I don't know. It was, it was just really lame. So I don't know that that was, it was also such like a bummer for me that I didn't even, um, I think I was down about it enough that I didn't even feel like trying to find a new co-host <laughs> and I got really busy with other things. So I was like, eh. but um, yeah, now that I'm involved with the house, it screams, I'm busy with that and haven't um, relaunched my own podcast. Do you still do writing at all? Is that something you still like doing? Um, I, that's just something I haven't had uh, much time for. I used to write prolifically, like not just blogging, but also I uh, was really into academic research for quite a while. Um, probably a leftover habit from my university days in grad school. Um, but like after my mom like catastrophically broke her leg. I ended up getting, I uh, kind of sucked into doing a lot of caretaking stuff for her because she lost most of her mobility. So I've, um, I don't know, I haven't even really felt like writing too extensively since then. No, I, I totally, totally understand that. I mean, there's been things I really enjoy doing that, you know, life just kind of gets in the way, but that's, mm -hmm. that's always something that, uh, I'm sure people would like, if you ever decided you wanted to write something, I'm sure we'll all read it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so before we kind of get into the more academic side of things, let me ask you, uh, where did you grow up? Um, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So I'm still here. <laughs> Oof. 
<laughs> it could be worse. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you know, Nebraska. I mean, people got to live there, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong yeah, with living so, in Nebraska. Someone has to. <laughs> what was that like growing up there? Were you what? What decade did you grow up in? Um. So yeah, I'm I'm an '80s kid. Um. I do have to say the city has changed quite a lot from my childhood. Um. Like the the city used to be extremely white for example um and now it's um a lot more diverse this this the city i don't know if it's countywide or just the city but it's one of those quote-unquote sanctuary cities so there have been a lot of refugees from all over the world who've come in and i mean i like it i feel better in um, areas that are more diverse i just think it leads to more just openness and in in, uh, in general, um, because it seemed like during my childhood things were uncomfortably conservative, and probably also exacerbated by the fact that I was raised in a very very fundamentalist evangelical um, household and, and church community. Really? Okay. So, was like pop culture like frowned upon in your house or? You're still able um, to sort of like certain time, um I was not allowed to watch horror movies or anything remotely violent um or anything sexually explicit. So I ended up watching a whole lot of reruns of older sitcoms like I Love Lucy and um like the TV shows that my mom would watch with me, like were things like Remington Steel. And Perry Mason and things yeah, like my, that. That's stuff my uh, mom would watch, you know, those those kind yeah. of uh, CBS shows from back in the day. A lot of soaps. My mom was yeah. a big soap person, like Dallas. Oh, uh, yeah. My my mom had a soap phase um, when I was really, really little, like kindergarten or younger. And then she just up and like quit watching them because she felt like they were a waste of time, um, which I can, you know, I can dig that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you know, that they can be for sure. I mean, you know, it's a soap. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they just like drag the story out for months and it's like <laughs> And uh, where, where did you guys have uh uh cable growing up? Was it just the antenna? Oh gosh. Uh, trying to remember. I I know like by the time I was a in my early teens or pre-teens we had cable tv i think maybe for some brief period when i was really little it may have been some kind of antenna monstrosity uh did you have a vhs player yes and and so we're um did you did you guys buy movies? Did you guys rent movies, or was it recording off TV? Do you remember? What um, that combination was? combination of the three. Um, I don't think we bought too many uh, VHS movies. Like I, I know we had copies of like the popular Disney animated films that I liked at that age, um, and, and including some of like the the really old ones like Snow White and Sleepy Beauty and, and things like that. Um, but we didn't like own a ton of VHS. I think my mom's favorite, favorite movie of all time was Gone with the Wind and she still loves it. Um, so then eventually she upgraded that to like a Blu-ray edition that had all these other special 
little trinkets in there, like a music box that plays the theme song and uh, yeah, like all kinds of things like that. But like we ended up recording a lot off of TV and uh, renting quite a lot from um, like blockbuster type places and, and like back then grocery stores usually had a video rental section. So we'd like rent from the local Super Saver grocery store. I just had my uh, my uh, friend on Matt, and he was talking about the video store and the grocery store, and it just flood. I had a lot of memories got flooded back. There was a, a there's a place in Illinois called Dominic's, and I don't even think they exist anymore. And they had a video store, and I I would just I would that was my favorite thing to do, and I would go and just get all sorts of like weird movies. And nice. I and I, I remember uh, I don't know why this. I'm thinking about this one particular movie, but it, one movie I remember renting was The Hidden 2, which is a sequel to The Hidden. Have you ever seen The okay. Hidden? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. So we got it's one of those slug and like alien slugs in a person, it makes them go crazy. And they made a sequel, and the sequel is super weird. And it's like more like a stage play for half of it than oh, wow. <laughs> the hidden. It's I don't know, that's but that was like the cool thing about the grocery store video store, because you know, your parents are going there anyway, so yeah, yeah. Well the yeah, videos. yeah, that I think that is like maybe one of the things that got me interested in horror films, even though I, I didn't actually start watching them until I was I should say not openly watching them until I was a teenager. Uh sometimes when my parents were out the house and I was home alone, I'd flip through the cable, you know, channels and if something looked scary, I would tend to gravitate toward that. Um, but then I was like furtively like listening for them to like be coming in through the door and it's like quick change the channel because <laughs> I'll be in trouble oh, yeah. if I'm not watching that. that. That happened a lot. Um, but yeah, I remember like um, those old, you know, 1980s video covers. It, like I'd be like walking past the horror section pretending I'm on my way to some other section, but I'd like have to check out those covers. It's oh, like, yeah, they're great. Dang, those are just so intriguing. I was just obsessed with some of the movies just because of the covers. Now, I was thinking, though, one thing I thought was funny was you were saying that your parents didn't want you to watch anything that was scary. And you watched <laughs> a lot of Disney films. And let's be honest, there's a lot of scary stuff in those Disney films. Yeah, did not yeah. realize that? Do parents not um, realize that? That's what I wonder. I, I know. It's like, I, I think there are definitely certain things especially classic um animated disney films that are really scary um like i i really loved um sleeping beauty and snow white but it's like i like i love maleficent the most <laughs> so it's like i'm already like identifying with the villain but there were some there were some really creepy scenes in that movie and then uh snow white has the whole uh the whole scene where the evil queen transforms into the ugly you know hag witch character like that that was uh kind of scary <laughs> um, do you think that's sort of what got you interested in being scared or like what, maybe, what was what what got you into the sort of idea of being scared it, it could have been you know that could have been a factor for sure like i i was always more intrigued um by those types of scenes um than say um the happy indian romance parts uh, or the like the sweet ro little romantic songs they would have in those movies but like ew, the scary transformation scenes um were cool 
what what else? Oh yeah, there was that uh, Disney's Fantasia had that that night on Bald Mountain piece that was like just full of demons and ghosts and like that was that was pretty spooky. I thought that was cool. Um, did, did you were you allowed to do Halloween? Um, yeah, within reason. Although um, it, it was very controversial. Like the I I went to like a, a private Christian school for quite a while, and they kept trying to have their own kind of Halloween party, but they wouldn't call it that. They would just call it Harvest Festival or something. And they wouldn't allow like um, really scary costumes. Like you couldn't be something demonic. You couldn't be a witch. You couldn't, um, you couldn't have like a bloody or gory costume. It had to be something wholesome or benign. Um, at least they didn't limit it to like, you can only be Bible characters and angels. <laughs> they didn't they weren't that far you know like well, that's good yeah reserved but they were they were trying to have sort of a cleaner wholesome halloween but oh halloween was my favorite i um, loved getting into costumes i loved um looking at different costumes I, I was more drawn to like the vampire type ones never got to be a vampire until i was a lot older <laughs> but do you remember kind of the costumes that you wore because uh, yeah. I remember I used to have in the 80s, we have the one where it would be the plastic mask and like the smock. Do you remember I those? remember, yeah. Those That's are what so I would do. retrospect, but I, I enjoyed looking at those, but I never had those costumes. My mom actually um, was into sewing back then, so she sewed different costumes for me, like from McCall's and Butterick and Simplicity Pattern. So uh, one That's year I. cooler. I was a T-Rex and like apparently the, the tail attachment on the costume it was stuffed and it had like I don't know what maybe it wasn't a T-Rex, maybe it was a stegosaurus or something, but the tail had like all kinds of spikes sticking out of it and uh, it was a complete nightmare to sew and stuff, but she did it. Um Wow, that's cool. Up like late, late at night sewing and stuffing this thing. And um she also made a costume for me one year where I was Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz and um like got red glitter and covered like a pair of like shoes with you know that for the ruby slippers and made a wig and yeah kind of went all out (laughs) well that's good though that at least it wasn't like a sheltered like childhood you know i like you know you'll hear stories of religious parents and they're like you can't leave the house because whatever yeah fortunately it wasn't yeah it wasn't to that extent they were like just very um overly selective about what types of entertainment and you know things they thought were okay and and it doesn't help too that i grew up in that weird phase in evangelical culture where they you know like people were really concerned about rock music um not not just that you know some bands had maybe a hedonistic message or sort of certain like satanic flair for shock value but weirdly there were pastors concerned about the style of music itself like oh no there's dissonance there's like some syncopation that you know that's inherently evil and it's like why and it was just it was very it was a very bizarre time yeah i when i grew up it really wasn't something that i heard about too much i was i grew up in uh the north shore of chicago so it was very jewish uh area so there were, I didn't really know that many people that were like super religious in that particular way. 
But when I hear about all that stuff going on in the eighties, I'm just like, like, man, this is crazy. Cause it's just, you know, you've not playing things backwards and turning people into, you know, monsters. It's, it's... Oh yeah. Yeah. The whole backward masking thing. Yeah. That was, that was wild. <laughs> Very silly. I, I recently watched uh, a movie that was kind of about that. Um, not trick or treat. There's a, uh, Black Roses. Oh, you ever seen Black yeah, Roses? Yeah. I have seen that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's, uh, it's one of the. Speaking of VHS covers, it's one of those VHS covers I always remember because it had it was like uh, uh, like out a little bit more, so like you mm-hmm. could feel it. You know, like mm-hmm. it was a bunch of Black Roses, essentially. You know, nice. I like those fun covers where they had like a gimmick. Yeah, I, I like that too. Where it's it has like kind of a texture, and some of them had like a metallic foil on them. Same with some of the horror novels of that era, you know, like which now you there's that the whole paperbacks from hell, you know, Grady Hendrix thing, um, where he, he was showcasing all these great covers and summarizing the, the crazy content of these books. Yeah, I, that was another thing I enjoyed was at the library or um, bookstores. It's like got to casually wet, you know, walk past the pulp fiction section and look at these like horror novel covers because they're just so cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's reading was something I enjoyed, but I didn't read as much horror stuff. Um, I was more, I was still like a like a TV kid, so I'd watched a lot of television, really big into like Scooby Doo and all that kind of stuff. So there was like a horror was something that you know that kind of scary monster thing was always something that I was able to do and watch when I was a kid. And in retrospect, I. It's funny to, to to see my parents would let me basically watch A Nightmare on Elm Street when I'm like five, just because I have an older sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, nice. Lucky. <laughs> it might have been seven. Let me, let me rephrase. More seven. But like, that's still pretty young for A Nightmare on Elm Street, you know. But like, it quickly became like one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I got to get all the Wes Craven movies. Did you have, oh, yeah. uh, did you have like uh, movies and directors that you fell in love with at a young age? I have to say, I was obsessed with the Nightmare on Elm Street movies as a kid, and they were completely forbidden. Like, I don't know, they were like the devil <laughs> in my household. Um, so it's yeah. like I kept trying to like find them on TV, and like it was it was literally impossible for me to see them at someone else's house because all my friends were kind of part of the same subculture where like they weren't allowed to watch that stuff either. <laughs> so. I, it yeah, it took a while before I could you know, just rent that and it not be a big issue. <laughs> and what was the first time you think you finally got to see Nightmare on Elm Street? Do you remember? Um, may have been around um fifteen or sixteen years old, something like that. Yeah, that's like a full, almost a full decade after I got to see a Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of wild because, like, yeah, I'm seven. You know, you look right. back at it now, yeah. like, what is, you know, um, but like, the nice thing was, though, I still got scared. Now, mm. I, I feel like if I wasn't scared, then maybe that would have been another issue. But like, you know, it still scared me. Why not? So that's good. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, definitely. And, I, and I, I've talked about this uh, before, uh, but I really liked horror comedies growing up because then that would sort of like break up sort of the scares a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've I've always kind of gravitated to that sort of thing. Um, mm. What kind of what kind of horror movies were, did you gravitate towards? Um, 
yeah, I, I guess, I mean, my, my immediate attraction, uh, like growing up, uh, in, in my teen years, it was probably for the most part, uh, mostly like eighties films, um, you know, some of the seventies films, uh, unfortunately, by the time I was like old enough to be able to rent stuff on my own and it not cause some kind of calamity, um, it, a lot of the nineties like films were just it was a bad decade for horror. Like, I agree. Granted, there were some gems mixed in and then like some really popular films like Scream, but like a lot of the 90s were just like, woof. Just these stupid, campy, um, I just almost unwatchable movies. And it's like, what happened here? So, um, yeah, I, I was um, kind of very happy like in the early to mid 2000s when they started you know you started getting these r-rated uh, movies again that took themselves seriously even though they may have had a little humor they weren't just pure camp you know like cabin fever and house of a thousand corpses and things like that so at least my college years had a lot of fun movies to watch That's that good. were current releases uh so do you have a theory on why 90s horror is as bare as it is I, um, I've, I've heard a number of like kind of sociological theories that, um, the horror genre tends to do better in times of, uh, social turmoil, like war times or any kind of big social upheaval. And, you know, one theory is like, well, the nineties were overall kind of a bland, calm decade, at least for the United States. Um, not you know not the entire world of course um, but then you know, like post 9-11 then there was a resurgence of uh, very intense horror movies and movies that uh, definitely would have either not gotten released at all or would have been given an x rating in the past but then they're like being in the theaters with just a normal r rating and it's like uh, society's like yeah we can have bigger things to worry about than <laughs> you know um the fact they showed blood and nipples in the same shot you know like that's not gonna get get a movie um you know an x rating anymore um so, yeah 9 yeah. definitely changed things mm -hmm. um but yeah they're they're like i like uh movies across all decades like it kind of took me a while to appreciate uh like significantly older films like before that i i kind of had a I don't know, a hesitancy to watch stuff, say, from before the 1970s. And I don't know if it's just because my mom was so into, like, golden age Hollywood films that I already felt like that time period was kind of drilled into me and I wanted to watch newer stuff. Um, but thanks to taking a lot of film theory classes uh, during my undergraduate degree, I uh, discovered a lot of, like, really excellent horror films from a long time ago and some of those movies are really subversive um kind of uh, perverted in some cases and just like whoa they put that kind of subject matter in a film like from the 30s or earlier i just thought that was wild is, is do you have any titles off the top of your head that people uh, should well, check out yeah one one of my favorites uh, like from the 30s was uh mad love which was a remake of, uh, I think it was The Hands of Orloff. 
or uh, something like that. But that movie has at least like five remakes. It started as a silent film. Um, I like the I like the nineteen uh, I think it was nineteen thirty six one that has um, Peter Lorre as uh, the mad scientist character. But that movie kind of has quote. You're, I'm doing air quotes since people can't everything or something for everyone um in the sense that the villain he's not just a mad scientist it's implied he is a sexual sadist um there's that that paraphilia or you know fetish called pygmalionism where he steals a wax statue of this um actress that he's obsessed with and stalking and then acts like the statue is her and doing who knows what with it um it, and he's like, he, it's just, it's a, there's just all kinds of multiple layers of weirdness in it. He's a stalker. He's obsessive. He's very narcissistic. He's also a sadist. He loves to go to public executions in France and watch beheadings and then collect body parts to use for experiments. There's a lot going on. <laughs> Man, I, I, this is the first time I've heard of it. Uh, I'm not the, I don't, I don't know that much about movies from back but back then but i assume this is obviously before like the Hayes code and stuff and it was um, that, pro- was it a german film too was it german um, expressionism or is it it was that was made in america but it was um uh director uh, the same director who directed the uh, 1932 film the mummy and i don't know why i'm just blanking on his name all all of a sudden um but weirdly like mad love was made after the code was in effect and i don't know how they got oh, away wow. with the subject matters that they like bribed someone on the on the rating board or something or... It, well maybe it was just i i couldn't say it's too under the radar because even like under the radar movies probably got got busted i don't know they money talks you know that's what they say but yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting uh, yeah and there were um let's see i'm just gonna look up the director because i mean i'm ashamed that i just don't um don't know this immediately because he's super famous although apparently he was a complete monster to work with yeah i feel like you hear that a lot about geniuses (laughs) yeah it's like uh definitely definitely skilled um director but just um very abusive to some of his um is uh actors especially the one uh main female actor in that movie was really bad uh bad toward okay okay it says 1935 here ah carl freund there you go ah yes and yeah yeah and this was something you've discovered in college right yeah, and it, it was actually um, like hard to find that movie for quite a while. It, unfortunately, it's been um, reissued like on more modern formats, like um, at minimum DVD, maybe Blu-ray too by now. Um, I got it in this box set of uh, 1930s horror films that included... Um, Oh, and another really outrageous film that it's like, I'm kind of hesitant to say I recommend it, but on the other hand, it's like, it's wild and it's at least a snapshot of history that time. Um, the Mask of Fu Manchu. I'm sure Star- that doesn't have a, a non-Asian in the lead role. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Boris Karloff is Fu Manchu and they um, 
they they put you know special makeup on him to make his eyes you know look more asian and um it is such a racist piece of shit movie like sometimes it's hilarious um sometimes it's like it, it crosses all kinds of boundaries another one that has a lot of like sexual deviance in it um a lot of torture in it but it's like wow the racism and like some of the lines coming out of these characters mouths just so casually um uh, like like the heroes like you know calls Fu Manchu you accursed yellow dog and Fu Manchu is like I'm going to send you to your sterile Christian paradise <laughs> it's like there's just wow. like oh my gosh this movie um although i mean granted it came out in this time when like people just had this bizarre fear of um asian people and asian immigrants and there were all these like pieces of legislation that were stripping uh asian immigrants of their rights so it's like it's an interesting snapshot from that time period um calling it a great movie might be a stretch because that is like dang that didn't age well with <laughs> like that kind of just overtly racist dialogue it's like oh no <laughs> yeah it's it's uh not to get into it too much but it's you're saying that i'm assuming that's like a 1930s movie which is like almost that's like 90 years ago mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. still dealing with stuff like that which is kind of sad yeah, to think about that makes it like more upsetting like it'd be one thing if you could say oh yeah people had these fucked up attitudes back then but we don't have them now. That's great. You know, and then it's like, well, unfortunately, there's still a lot of the same issues going on. <laughs> All right. So what did you go to school for? What was your, uh, your, uh, what were you, what were you trying to do with school? <laughs> I um, so I, I was really interested in forensic science, but like, I was like, kind of interested in a lot of stuff. So I had this weird dual major where I was taking all these pre-med and science courses for one half of this major. And then the, the other major was um, English with a, a film theory concentration because at the University of Nebraska, film was for some reason lumped under English. Whereas you think potentially it could have also gone with journalism or with broadcasting, but um, those were treated as something different. I actually went to, when I went to college, which um, I went to originally to be like a phys ed teacher, and uh, that didn't pan out. Uh, so I switched things around, and for some reason I said, hey, I'm going to be a film studies minor. <laughs> I'm like, nice. what am I doing? Um, so, you know, I, I did a lot of um, like film theory classes, but then I had like the video art classes I had to do too. And I'm oh, wow. not, I'm not arty at all. And I just made some terrible videos and it's just like, I don't know what I, w- I was doing, but, um, you know, I still, I still liked my film theory classes and stuff. Do you, do you, um, did you, uh, learn a lot when you were in school to be in film theory and do you still use sort of that stuff you learn now? Yeah, it's, um, interesting like in some ways i i use the film theory stuff and film history more in my daily life than i use all the the hard math and science stuff that i learned and i i i went on to grad school for something that was specifically a forensic science degree and at least i kind of did use that like my focus was more behavioral science than um 
oh, like your CSI type forensic science, uh, for lack of a better description, but um, because I, I ended up working as a victim advocate uh, for um, sexual assault and domestic violence cases for over a decade before eventually being like, fuck that, I'm over it. <laughs> but you know, it's like, well, I did apply my degree there. But yeah, I, I actually use the film uh, theory stuff a lot more um, now because I am working for people in the film industry and doing a lot of podcasts and reviews and things like that. So, and so I don't know what you even what do you do right now? Like, what is your uh, do you have a a job title? So yeah, just as, um, and this wasn't something I planned to do, but um, around the time I was doing my own podcast, I'm like, well, the, there should be a website to go with it. Um, I don't know anything about websites, but you know, it always seemed cool to have a blog. So I just started tinkering around with WordPress and then just kept experimenting with things. And then I had friends who needed websites and I'm like, I'll get you set up. Um, and then I felt like I got to a point where I could, actually design you know uh, websites for some small businesses and some like film industry friends who just aren't tech savvy that's kind of become like one of my main like jobs now and I um, became friends with um, actor Andrew Devoff who's kind of known like to horror people mostly for uh, portraying the gin and the, the first two Wishmaster movies but he's been a ton a ton of other stuff a lot of action movies yeah oh yeah i'm a big fan how did you guys hook up in the first place so way back in 2014 um there um uh, i kind of just want I, I don't know i was kind of burned out from work like because i was I'd still been doing the victim advocacy stuff and the hours were terrible and the pay was terrible and it's like i just need to shift gears and start doing something different and with my, my vacation time, instead of going to professional training conferences, I should just do something that's fun and interesting. And I thought, well, why not go to a horror convention? I've never been to one, um, meet some people whose work I admired. So and I ended was up this going, in Nebraska? And this wasn't in Nebraska. Like, I don't know, Nebraska, I think there's a, a pretty good Comic-Con in Omaha, but there's not like a, any horror conventions in this state. Like, I think the biggest, like, good size, or the, the maybe the only good size horror convention that I'm aware of in this part of the Midwest is Crypticon in Kansas City. Okay. Um, I've been to that a few times. Um, but this, like, where I met Andrew was at a, a tiny like little charity fundraiser slash art show in Denver um, at an art studio where he was actually the only guest, but he was there to uh, raise money for, I'm thinking it was Scares That Care. Um, but it, it was nice that it was a small uh, venue instead of like a, a big crowded convention because it was easy for like everyone there to just kind of hang out with them and talk and you know get to know each other so um yeah we like kept in touch after that and then I saw him at like a couple other conventions and eventually he was launching his own craft beer company 
and I asked him about like, well, you need you need some kind of like web and social media presence for this. Like, what are you using for it? And it's like, that was not his thing. He's not he, he's not really into like web, you know, and tech stuff. So I started doing that for him. Interesting. Um, so he's got a beer. Does he still have that? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, he he's done a combination of um, contract brewing, like several types of beer, um, and he also has like a small, like little tap room slash restaurant uh, located in Crestline, California, which is in the San Bernardino Mountains. And um, his original beer called the Gin's Hellebrew is um, it's like a Belgian style golden ale with uh, Persian lime. Um, and uh, roasted habanero peppers in it. Oh, that sounds nice. I'm, it, I'm, a, it, I'm a craft it, beer guy, so. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the newer, the revised recipe is nice. The original recipe is um, punishing. Like, really? blow your face off. And he, <laughs> he debuted that original recipe at um, Rock and Shock, which was in the, uh, I think, kind of the Boston area. Uh, unfortunately, that convention no longer exists. But he, uh, after having a full day of like doing the usual autograph signing, you know, convention stuff, he was the bartender in the like the concert side, yeah, you know, the evening concert side of that convention, and was serving his beer there, and it was like extremely spicy, like just just melt your face off spicy. Yeah, that's um, uh, that sounds uh, very interesting, and I'm not a big spicy guy, but I'll try it. Yeah, it probably would. It would have killed me. I bet. I I nursed like three glasses of it throughout the you know, like many hours of the evening, but it's not one that you could just chug. But like I think he felt like okay, like that's leaning like too much into the spice. So uh, subsequent brews, um, he kind of dialed the spiciness back. Now where now it's like it's it's not punishing. It's spicy, but it's not punishing. Like. Now the lime hits you first and you just notice a little poop pop of heat like in your chest after you swallow it, but it's not going to like make you sick or make you sweat or whatever. Well, that's so, good because yeah, I, I don't I think need the to new, sweat. Yeah, the revised recipe is is really uh, good. So I'm, I'm glad that um, he like tweaked that a bit. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, so uh, man, so that's pretty. What was I? Gonna say? I don't have to, this portion of my show out, which I probably won't. I never edit things anyway. But uh, my question then would be: um, Do you still love horror as much now as you did before, or is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like um, over yeah ninety to ninety five percent of everything I watch. Um, is horror like it's hard for me to break away from that and usually when i do it's because i'm on a podcast where they they voted to review some other film like uh, a couple days ago i saw the new uh spider-man across the spider-verse movie because that was what was selected for this other podcast that i'm on called cinema roundtable which also airs on a local radio station kzum um, that's very cool 
And it's like most of the the hosts on that show are all horror people, but we try to balance it out with um, any movie that basically seems like it's going to be a big blockbuster. There's a lot of buzz around it. We kind of pick that as like the main focus for the month. Um, yeah, I mean, you have. I mean, you have to have an audience, and sometimes you need people to want to listen to the big thing that's out there to get some people drawn in and hopefully then you can then do the it's like the director who does the the blockbuster but then they get to do the small picture right right yeah they they use like the mainstream uh film to then finance what they really want to make which will be like some genre film or some weird arty thing that isn't like things that maybe most audiences want but it's what the director wants yeah that's that's a legit strategy (laughs) yeah that would that would what was it? Uh, who's the guy who did the Green Knight? He like does Disney remakes, and then he gets to do his small picture. But I forgot the guy's name right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Historically, there have been a lot of directors who've used that strategy, and it it makes sense. But then, then there are directors like my friends Andre Iskanov, you know, my uh, who lives in Russia, and I. I'm actually like I acted in one of his movies and I wanted to go back and act in the other one that he's also working on. But because of all the, you know, like the flight issues and the war uh, that Russia's uh, involved with against Ukraine, it's like, yeah, it's not really a good time for Americans to try to get there. Uh, That's kind of a hot mess. (laughs) Yeah. um, That's too bad that you can't uh, go back out there because that sounds like it would be a lot of fun to yeah to and I, I just love, I love his movies so much but he he's more of the mindset of like I want to make the movies I want to make and like if people want something different well then fuck those people they are wrong <laughs> he's like very stubborn in his uh uh yeah and with kind of his vision and he he doesn't want to I I did say well you could consider doing something sort of mainstream that would then make maybe make money to pay for like you the project you really want to do it's like no fuck that <laughs> are you are you a similar person like that are you do you, are you the type that doesn't want to compromise you know i guess i probably am a little bit that way myself um it's I, i'm sure it kind of depends on like what type of compromise you know like if I were a, a film director, I don't think I would want to go like really far afield from the horror genre. Like I could see doing, um, instead of say, I'm really drawn to like a lot of extreme horror films. And I really liked, um, you know, the whole like sort of torture porn genre when that was more of a thing post nine 11. So it's like, uh, but it's like, well, audiences don't always want that kind of movie. So, I mean, hypothetically, if I were a director, I, you know, maybe would intersperse that kind of thing with uh, something that's just more spooky, like a ghost story or something. But I don't think I would want to compromise the point where I'm doing some kind of Marvel superhero movie or or a romantic comedy or something like that's too far afield. That's not me. <laughs> Well, you know, you can always do the romantic comedy that everyone thinks it's a romantic comedy, but it turns out it's actually audition. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That is true. <laughs> do you do you want to be a director? Is that something you thought about? Um, no, I've never really thought of that. I'm I'm pretty 
like happy to have been able to work uh, with Andre on his films and work on like some of his help him make like some of his special effects and I have a like I don't know how much screen time it's ultimately going to be but um I'm a female sniper in a war flashback scene and I um am on a helicopter with like my teammates and then one guy goes crazy and blows my head off <laughs> and it kills everyone else on the helicopter too. Oh, that sounds fun. What a nice yeah. person that guy is. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, well, at least it's like a, a colorful death scene. <laughs> that that must have been fun to do the effects and stuff for. Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to like do the effects for that part because he had to like build a fake head that looks like my face and put a wig on it and then like just explode it with some little explosive. Is there a way to see his films? Um. Yeah. So. Um, He's, he still has two that he's in the process of filming, but um, you can rent um, his original film Nails on Amazon Prime um, or Amazon Video. And then there's two different versions of Visions of Suffering. There's the original 2006 version, um, which, I mean, I think it is an interesting film. It, it's very, it, it's almost the kind of film where it's like, you know, maybe you should be uh, like smoking weed or something. I don't know. It's a very weird film. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I can see with the right substance, like it might be more fun. But Andre hates that version of the film. He says it was cursed. Um, a ton of things went wrong during the making of it. So Years later, he did like his final director's cut, and like fifty percent of the movie is different <laughs> from the original oh, one. Oh wow! It's a it's a significant difference with the director's cut, but the, the director's cut is a much better movie in the sense of it has a plot that makes sense. Um, there, you can follow this character's story in a way that's like rational, but it, and it also maybe not good for all viewers, but it is a much more explicit film. It is so gory, and there are some scenes that are way too sexually explicit for an R rating as well, because that's a whole other weird story. I never like encountered this on the set of his film, but he had uh, a friend, and then like one, um, one of the actresses at that time, he's not like in contact with her anymore, but she her character was originally supposed to be fully clothed and she said i'll be in your movie on the condition that i am naked the whole time well, that's rewrite different. this character. yeah so instead of being a witch then she became a succubus so she just comes naked out of hell and uh yeah um, yeah, yeah okay that checks out. it worked it worked uh, it's like well yeah okay i mean that that didn't hurt the film um but she would also have this this thing about like she started having an affair with um like the the one assistant um who worked behind the scenes and she wouldn't do any work or acting until she got her brains fucked out pretty much. And then some of this ended up in the film. <laughs> so oh man. Like, I know. Well, there's cinema, some moments. <laughs> right, right. But I ironically like that kind of content is super illegal there now um, under the current government. Yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, that makes sense. That checks out. But yeah, I never witnessed or experienced anything like that wild when I was <laughs> there. It was like, uh, 
you know, pretty, pretty chill and like not, uh, nothing inappropriate. That's except, good. <laughs> except for the one, one time my friend uh, Andre had an emotional meltdown on the set of the film one evening. <laughs> Uh, and I found out later there was a good reason behind it, but it's like it kind of seemed, from my perspective, to come out of nowhere. Where you just open the balcony window and start screaming, "Fuck Russia! Fuck you! I fucking hate you, Russia!" <laughs> and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, what, what happened?" And then he like points at something out there. He's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "It's a tree." He's like, "No, it's shit." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that, that's 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 pretty cool though that you had those experiences and you know I've never done any acting or anything like that, nor do I really want to. But uh, I think that's fun. I'm definitely yeah, going to try to check out some some of his stuff. Yeah, the one that's a little harder to find, or at least I don't think it exists legally on any streaming service, is Philosophy of a Knife. That's his most famous one, but it's the most explicit one too. Yeah, it sounds okay. So there's a lot of movies, the way it describes that I'm like afraid to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, that this one. Movies, that this movie sound kind of kind of afraid for me a little bit. Yeah, honestly, like that that one I I found because like back in the the first the early days of Netflix's DVD rental service, they had a bunch of extreme films. Like they had the you know, the guinea pig films, the Japanese series that were like sort of like fake snuff films. They had those. They had August Underground. Um, they had Philosophy of a Knife. <laughs> it was like there, just a weird time. There's one movie, by the way, that I've always been afraid to, to even think about watching is Mermaid in a Manhole. Ever... Oh, actually, that's a good one. That's one of the best ones in that series, but it's not... Um... It's a different tone. Like the first, the first two entries in that series are just like straight up, like fake snuff film. Like wannabe. There's no plot. It's just like someone being tortured slowly, you know, slowly over the course of forty five minutes. Mermaid in a manhole is actually like that's actually a cool movie. Um, like yeah, after- still, still, like extreme horror movies still kind of scare me. And then sometimes I watch them and be like, like I saw a Serbian film. And oh I yeah like, i was like okay i was like it, i mean i made it through there just fine yeah yeah i think a lot of people are like unreasonably afraid of that film um mermaid in a manhole is like it, it's not like that bad you could totally handle it we'll see though if i do i'll let you know yeah I know I it goes. like be much more afraid of uh flower of flesh and blood which is the second entry in that series that's like the the really gross one <laughs> yeah that's what i've heard too Sure. Um, so that's a I don't I don't even know how I can transition to anything exciting after <laughs> that. Uh, but uh, my question, completely on the other end of the spectrum, are you guys still doing the Final Girl cosmetic stuff? Yes, we are, and um, need to get more inventory on the website. But yeah, we are working on some new. Um, projects with that too like candy's working on a whole line of like body care products and like specialty soaps that are also made with like really cool stuff like argan oil um but she found all these like molds that like you could have like a freddy krueger face bath soap or something or a jason hockey mask soap yeah so she's 
um, coming up with like these um, like kind of body care and bath products. Um, and uh, we're, we're also going to expand our selection of eyeshadow palettes, lipsticks, liquid eyeliners, all in unconventional colors. Because our, our whole thing is we don't want to be like your mom's, uh, you know, nude eyeshadow palette. You know, like that's not us. <laughs> yeah, you want to do something more fun and more off the beaten path kind of stuff. Exactly. You know, that, and that's one great way to stand out too. You know, it's not just to do the, you know, the traditional stuff. And, mm -hmm. I, and I really like how you guys kind of go for that horror theme. Makes it a little bit, you know... More like dangerous, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. She like when I had Candy on, she was really excited about it. You know, and it's and it's tough too because it's a pretty it's a market that's a big market for uh, makeup and stuff. It's like so it's hard and a lot of work to you know get your name out there. Uh, um, but you guys seem to be doing pretty well with it, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're we're looking forward to like definitely expanding, uh, you know, to other, you know, other types of products. Have like a wider selection of existing products too. And um, yeah, we still have some some uh, few palettes left. Of uh, we did like the Iskanov Dreamscape palette, which was a collaboration we did with my Russian friend Andre Iskanov. So he um, like kind of handpicked a lot of colors. We pick names that relate to things from his films so that was uh, fun and also his love of cats so it's like we have all these like grim dark themes and then there's a blush called mr tiger that has a little paw print stamped in it and has the, uh, his like cat's face on the outer packaging <laughs> where, where uh what's the website that people can go check it out um yeah that website is finalgirlcosmetics.makeup awesome yeah i've looked through the the site a bunch just kind of see what you guys got cooking and it's a lot of fun stuff so I hope people go and check it out if they're not already familiar with them uh, yeah, so another, another thing that we're working on is a nightmare in elm street themed set so i don't know all the details yet but it's gonna have some combination of a body care product and an eyeshadow palette and um yeah maybe a little something something extra are you all allowed to do Nightmare on Elm Street stuff, do you get like, do you have to do like uh, copyright things or something? How's that work? Um, I think it's more more like going to like not have that specific, it's not going to be called Nightmare on Elm Street or have the branding, but it might have uh, more of a an ode to like the characters, you know, like say the trademark Freddy, you know, red and green, for example, or um, maybe, maybe one of the bath or body care products will be coffee scented. <laughs> You know, something something along those lines. Kind of like a like a burnt sienna color you can always do. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> and I actually have a, a board game called Final Girl, uh, which oh, is a, which is a solo a solo player game where you're the, basically the final girl and you have to defeat the slasher villain. And they're all based off of you know slashers. One of them is a Freddy knockoff, but he's like a doctor. But like you go to a to um like the dream world and stuff like that and it's like a total ripoff, oh, cool. but like it's not a, close enough yeah just so. different and, well also with with certain things like freddie and jason are like just names you could you know use that name for 
say a, a color or some product, but it's not, not infringing on that copyright. Although Candy is working, or as far as I know, on, on getting some official licensing for some other films um, that, that she's a big fan of. So I, I know she had kind of started that process. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And uh, for those who go to the site, I'm sure they'll see whatever cool thing you guys have cooked up. Yeah, yeah. With that, yeah, the whole like um, copyright thing would be really interesting. Like um, Andrew Devoff, like may basically he sculpted a mold for like these rings that he sells that are just solid silver, and you could like brain someone with them because they're freaking heavy. But they're his gin rings. It looks like the gin's head. Oh, nice. Uh, and I, I've got a couple of those myself in different colors, but um, he, but like he can't even call it Wishmaster because he doesn't own the rights to Wishmaster, even though he acted as the, that character. But but nobody has the copyright on Jin. Exactly, it's, <laughs> so it's a mythological creature, and yeah, no one owns that that name. So, all right. So before we go, I have to ask the question I ask everybody else. How do you arrange your physical media? Oh, well, it kind of, it gets rearranged periodically. Kind of the thing I have going on currently is um, vague, you know, I have it arranged by vague theme or by subgenre. So like I might have a whole shelf just with, um, you know, like my favorite final girls are real kick-ass female heroes. Um and like maybe a whole shelf just for extreme horror. So I have like the butcher philosophy of a knife, murder set pieces, guinea pig films, uh, sallow Serbian film, like all that stuff. Um, and then I got a shelf or shelf space for more of like your 1930s pre-code and uh, and Universal monster type films. So like those are all you know together. And if it happens to be that like one director did multiple films within that category, then it's sub-organized by a director. <laughs> so it's a little convoluted, but <laughs> no, I mean it, it makes sense. Uh, a lot of people be like, "I'm going to do alphabetical, I'm going to do this or that." I like that you do it by subject matter. I yeah. do some sort of similar with my stuff, um, even though mostly I I call it the shuffle system where I just I'm like there's an empty spot, I just put it there. But I do have uh, Hong Kong movies on a shelf together. Um, like uh, I have some Van Damme movies together. Nice. Uh, <laughs> some uh, John Woo, uh, John Carpenter movies, and then I just have just just I got uh, Blu-rays together, and it's just like whatever random stuff, you know. So it's, I have it's like a mix of of uh, of of those kind of things, but. You know, it's always been, it's really interesting to find out how people do their stuff because everybody does it so differently. And it it really kind of shows a lot about that person's personality too. Yeah, yeah, that is always interesting. <laughs> you know, so that's, uh, that's why, that's why I, I'm really excited that I figured out to ask that question. You know, nice. So now I got to get people back on who I haven't asked and ask them that question. That's what I got to do. <laughs> uh, so anyway, thank you, Erica, for coming on to the show this has been really fun i've learned uh, a whole heck of a lot about you and i think everyone here who's listening uh had sure learned a lot and had a great time and you know and hopefully they'll 
listen to us on the House of Screams podcast and some of the other stuff that you do and the Final Girls Cosmetic. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me here today. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a really fun discussion. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully I can have you on some other time. We can talk uh, in depth about a movie that was seminal to you. We, you know, whatever you want, if you ever do, we'll uh, okay. get it to work. Love you. All right. Uh, so anyway, thanks again for joining and thanks everyone for listening to my show. Hope you have a good day.